Please turn with me to the Song of Solomon as we continue our X-rated series of messages. Appreciate all those emails and all those letters you women sent last week. They're exciting. <clears throat> really exciting. I, w I started to bring some of those into the pulpit and read them to you today, but uh, I'm afraid you couldn't take it, so I'll just leave it at that. Let's take our text for the day. It's chapter 3, and read with me, beginning in verse 1. By night on my bed I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed by them. When I found the one I love, I held him and would not let him go. Have you ever been latched onto by a woman who would not let you go? Huh? Has that ever happened to you? It's quite an experience. I mean, others have told me about it. That, uh, I, Until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. Now, here's our text passage. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles, or by the does of the field. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. The Shulamite woman was a vineyard girl in the northern Galilean region. She had fallen in love with Solomon, who had evidently fallen in love with her. And all, of all Solomon's other wives, most were political. This was his true love. And this is describing the stages of their relationship. Today, we're celebrating True Love Waits. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking to our young people about this. And uh, last night, we had a banquet. Over 300 young people and their parents came. And they, most of them, took a charge of sexual purity. To sexually abstain until marriage. And today, at the end of this service... All of you, but especially the students, will have an opportunity to come forward and make public commitments for sexual abstinence until marriage. And those of you who have already made a mistake and feel that God cannot accept you the way you are, I want you to know that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin from your past. And you may come and say, I'm driving down a new beginning that from this day forward, I will practice sexual abstinence as God enables and empowers me. So I want to title this message, The Boundaries of Sexual Purity. A recent poll found that only 2% of all college students said that they were influenced in any way in their view of sexuality by their churches. 98% got their view of sex from watching MTV, NBC, CBS, whatever, the, the television and the print channels of America, 98% of our college students have gotten their sexual instruction from those sources and only 2% from the church. When I was a boy, you had better not even say the word sex in church. 
In fact, I'm not sure I heard the word sex. Uh, I mean, I heard some other words that I won't repeat here, but I'm not sure I heard the word sex till I was 16 or 17. And so we have a problem, and today I want to say it again. This is the Word of God. We're going to face our problems squarely. We're going to face them in the power of God. We're going to face them with the love of God. And we're going to call for a standard that God has that the world has long since passed over. But I'm telling you, God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the Bible, there's no ambiguity about boundaries. The boundaries are set. This is God's will that we always have boundaries. The Janus Report surveyed American men and found that 21% of the men they surveyed and 15% of the women had had sexual experience by the time they were age 14. Imagine that. And by the time they had reached the age of 19, 82% of all men and women had had sexual experience before they were 19 years of age. Then they took a survey in evangelical churches. In Bible preaching churches, get this, 30% of all people surveyed in the 50 evangelical churches said that they had had extramarital sexual experience, 30% in Bible teaching churches, and 70% said they had had premarital sexual experience. These are people who claim to know Christ and claim to be religious. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the church is not doing what it ought to do in teaching the Word of God on this subject. You may think this doesn't apply to you. You may say, I'm 82. Well, I can tell you I've had 80-year-old men in my office talking about sex and wondering what to do about it. I've seen 80-year-old men on their knees praying for God to relieve them from this filthy, passionate, lustful mind. And I'm telling you, unless you have already died inside, it still is a problem. Amen? The truth is that for our own understanding, for our grandchildren, for our children, for those of you who are single, for those of you who are students... We need to bring up the subject and say, folks, all sex has boundaries. And there are boundaries to create sexual purity. Interesting thing about this verse 5. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. It occurs in chapter 2, verse 7. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field. And remember, the daughters of Jerusalem are the courtlings of young women who surrounded Solomon. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. It occurs one more time in chapter 8, verse 4. Chapter 8, verse 4, you see the same thing. In chapter 8, he says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Now, folks, that is our text. Our text informs us not to arouse the sexual longing of the soul before one is ready to take up the accompanying responsibility. Now, most of us in my generation feel like the generation right behind us, that is, the baby boomers, wanted a lot of privilege without responsibility. Obviously, any such generalization is not true of everybody, but it may appear that way sometimes. The way the world handles a problem like this is to redefine it. 
So you see what's happened. This problem of sex before marriage and the problem of premarital pregnancies has become a health issue. They, de- they redefine it and recategorize it into a health issue. Folks, this is not a health issue. This is a moral, ethical, and spiritual issue. The issue is, can the power of God keep this body for the honor and the glory of God? That is the issue. I want to draw four implications from our text, which, gives Im- which informs us here today. Four implications that I want to talk about as we come to, to uh, uh, celebrate an opportunity to a commitment for sexual abstinence. Number one, God made us all ro- to be romantic and sexual beings. God made us all. There's an assumption here. There's no qualification. And the assumption is that this is generally applied across the, the readership and throughout Israel. Everybody has a sexual longing that can be aroused and can be stirred. God made us romantic and sexual beings. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus, when asked about divorce, said, Have you not read that he made them all male and female? And God made them male and female, and he saw that it was good. God thinks it's good that men and women can be married. God thinks it's good that you can have a romantic longing for your wife or for your husband. Have you not read that? God did this. Now, I understand that there are many in evangelical churches who suffered abuse. One poll I read recently said that 62% of all women in evangelical churches suffered sexual abuse in one way or another as a child. That is an incredible figure. And if, if, if that happened to you, and you cannot join me in saying, that's not a wonderful thing, pastor. That's not a great thing. I hate it. It's terrible. It's dirty. I know what happened to me when I was young. I plead with you to come to the cross. And come to the cross so that God can empower you to forgive whoever abused you. And so that you can know that you are clean from carrying guilt the rest of your life for what somebody else did. And so I issue that caveat. I understand that some of you were raised by parents who were very critical and told you you were ugly and you, or you were fat or you were skinny or you're no good or your nose is too long or your ears are too far out or your hair is ugly or your body smells or your feet are crooked or whatever. And they talked you down so that you cannot rise up and say, thank you, God, for making me who I am. But somehow or other, we've got to come back to the fact that this is not an evolutionary matter. It is God the creator who made us male and female and gave us a desire for him, which is a a reflection of our desire for God. You know, when you're in middle school, you don't like your body. I remember when my feet started growing. And they grew out of proportion. And I was so embarrassed and so clumsy wearing size 12 shoes on a size 9 body. Do you remember that? Do you remember the first pimple you got in junior high school? It was red. It was up here. I felt like Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. And I, I, I remember telling mother, my life is doomed. I am full of zits everywhere. Because when you're in the teenage years and you're becoming aware of your body, you exaggerate everything that happens to you. Somebody looks at you the wrong way. Suddenly the whole school hates me. 
And somehow we've got to get past that and beyond that so that we can rise up and say, thank you, Lord, for making me a man. And thank you, Lord, for making me a woman. And thank you, Lord, for making me just like I am. Oh, yes, most of us spend half of our lives wishing we could have another body. We have two bodies, the one we have and the one we want. And that's why you have all this selling on TV, all this exercise. Listen, folks, you don't know what those people did to get to look like that before they got on those machines. But they worked hard at that. And it wasn't by taking a pill. It wasn't by drinking Slim, Slim, what is that? You know what it is? Slim Fast. Okay, yeah, Slim Fast. So we rise up and say, thank you, Lord, for making us romantic and sexual beings. And we have that drive. Now look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. Well, actually start with verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. How many times have I heard that? If God didn't want me to fulfill my romantic yearnings, my sexual drive, he would never have given it to me. That is hogwash. Everything we have has boundaries to it. All your life, you will have boundaries. And you are not a debtor to the flesh. To, if I did everything I felt like doing, I'd have been divorced and married five times, and I'd be in central prison for murder if I did everything according to the flesh. How many of you would probably be in the, the jail cell right next to me? Yes. Thank God we are not slaves. And that's why he says Christ was raised from the dead. He died on the cross, and I died with him when I was saved. And I was raised with Christ from the dead, and he sends his spirit to dwell in me so that I don't have to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, but I by the spirit can put the deeds of the flesh to death, and I can have life. There is victory. So you can bring that romantic drive under control. The second implication I draw from this is this. A romantic physical relationship is the proper way to maximize our marriage. A romantic physical relationship is the best way to maximize our marriage. Now, the fact that he says, do not stir nor awaken love until it pleases, until it is right, implies that there is a time when it is right. And that time is marriage. There is a time to please the romantic instinct. For God does not ask you to deny your sexuality. He only asks that you put boundaries on it, just as there are boundaries on everything else. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And let's see what those boundaries are. Let's see how they start. What is the truth about a romantic physical relationship? Now, this is the man who writing to the Corinthians who had a problem with sex, he said, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. <laughs> Don't take that too far out of context, ladies and gentlemen. He's talking to the Corinthians who had abused their privilege here. But look at this, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. He didn't say husbands, he said husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection which is, it is his duty to give her, the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. 
Ma'am, you don't have a choice. If you're married, you have a duty to express your romantic yearning for your husband. And you have a duty to have a physical relationship with him. For the wife, verse 4, does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So this cannot be just cast off as culturally chauvinistic. Because he says that that woman is not the shadow property of man to be used sexually and then thrown aside. But man has a duty to woman just like woman has a duty to man. And in fact, he makes it an absolutely mutual responsibility and says both have authority over each other. That means boundaries. You may think if I could just get to marriage, I wouldn't have any more boundaries. I've got news for you. There's still a boundary in marriage. But what is striking about this is, he goes on to say in verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You might turn that man out of your affection for several months and then wonder why he strays. And I'm going to tell you the answer is found in the Word of God. And that's part of the romantic physical relationship. This is a plea for a husband and a wife to love each other with a whole soul, with a whole spirit, with all of your emotions, and to love them physically. And all physical love does not mean sex, sir. I know you are motivated by touch and look. You can look across the street and go bananas. And contrary to that Diet Coke commercial where the women all took their breaks to look at the construction workers, that's not true for women. It's different for women. They're motivated by emotion and spirit and soul and kindness and tenderness. And all the women said, amen. Amen. It implies there is a proper time and there is a duty. And we're not to deprive one another except with consent. You know what that means? Mutual agreement. If you've got a headache, tell him before. Listen, that's what the scripture says. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Proverbs 5.18 says, rejoice with the wife of your youth. Isn't that a great verse? Have fun with the wife of your youth. Amen. You know, ladies, you could help yourselves if you would make that into a great big banner and put it over your bed and say every night when your husband comes to bed, rejoice with the wife of your youth. And every morning when he gets up, rejoice with the wife of your youth. She's lying there with curlers in her hair and an old bathrobe on. But rejoice. God put us together to rejoice with each other physically, spiritually, emotionally, and in every way. To rejoice with the wife of our youth is a God-blessed thing put in God by the God the Creator. And folks, that yearning stays with you. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth what? Who remembers? A good thing. That's almost always true. <laughs> you could turn that around and say, Whoso findeth a husband, almost always finds a good thing. But I would like to issue a warning, ladies. When you get discouraged with your husband and you think the world is full of Cary Grants 
who are 6'3", 187 pounds with chiseled muscles all over their body. And they're wealthy and they're prayed up blue chip prospects filled with the Holy Ghost, know the Bible backwards and forwards, and they're just waiting for you to get free from your husband to come after him. I've got news for you, folks. The field is very limited and it's damaged goods out there. And there are not a whole lot of them. Amen? And you might as well stay on this side of the fence because you got to move the other side when you get over there too. So maybe you're better off to rejoice for the husband of your youth and make the most of what God has given you and maximize that relationship and make sure there's a spiritual bond and a, an emotional bond and a, and a soul bond and a physical bond. The third implication I draw from this passage in the Song of Solomon is that sexual love has proper times and boundaries. Sexual love has proper times and boundaries. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Okay, what are those boundaries? What are those boundaries? All right, now turn to 1 Thessalonians. God doesn't leave you to guess. You don't have to pray about this one. It's very clear. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I mean, you don't have to pray about what God's will. He's already shown you what is his will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes to the Thessalonians that in, uh, in verse 3, this is the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That means fornication before you're married. It means adultery after you're married. That's only what it can mean. That's all that it means. It means nothing less. It means nothing more that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, body, in sanctification and honor. Students, save yourself to give a gift of honor and virtue to your husband on the marriage night. Listen, singles, save yourself to give a gift of virtue and honor to your wife on your marriage night. You say it's too late for that. Then cling to the cross and find forgiveness and start all over again and make a new commitment to sexual purity and sexual abstinence. For this is the will of God. Now you say, how do you know he's talking about this subject? Well, you go on to verse 5. He says, not in passion of lust. That's not the way you possess your vessel. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified. Now, here is David. When Nathan approached David because of his sin with Bathsheba, you know what God was really angry about? It was bad enough that he had committed adultery, but he had taken another man's wife. Because see, when you join your body to somebody else, you take something from them and they take something from you. And that's why he defrauded Uriah. You know, I've always pondered that, Fred how Nathan said to him, I gave you all these wives, and if that weren't enough, I would have given you more. Has that ever bothered you? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, it's like God said, hey, the really bad thing here is, why did you take another man's wife? In that culture, they were practicing polygamy. Now, I want to tell you, I have taken a vow of abstinence from polygamy. How many of you would like to have several more wives? You're dead meat if you raise your hand on this one. Let me ask this, wives. How many of you 
would like to have several more husbands to take care of. No hands. No hands. Because you see, David had not observed the boundary of possessing your vessel in sanctification and honor. That, my friend, is an unequivocal will of God. It is the moral and spiritual will of God that we keep ourselves pure. God always has boundaries. Oh, when I was a boy, I was so tired of rules. I can remember thinking, when I get away from home and go to college, it's going to be wonderful. I won't have any more boundaries. I want to tell you, folks, the older you get, the more boundaries you have. I got the IRS, the, the NC Department of Transportation. I got, the, I got the DOT, the CSR, the COB, and the TOM. All, I don't know what those mean either. But I got more people telling me what to do, more regulations. And as you get older, your body puts regulations on you and says, oh, yeah, you're not going to dunk that basketball anymore. I don't care if you buy three pairs of Air Nikes. You're not going to get up there and get it down. You're not going to do it. It's over for you. And so you sit there and kind of take a flat-footed set shot and play bird and dog and, and those kinds of things. And the games are out. You don't run up and down that floor anymore. There are boundaries with age. Amen? It's true. There are always boundaries. That is the point. That is the way God trains and disciplines us. What are the proper steps to abstinence that we ought to take? Whether you're a student, a single, or a, a married person looking at the boundary of marriage. I want to give you three here. Do you remember the figure that, the, that Solomon used in there, that the Shulamite woman uses? It's the figure, do not awaken or stir up sleep until it is pleasing, is right. Now, the first thing I want to say about your sexual drive and your sexual longing is let it sleep. If it's asleep, let it sleep until the proper time comes. Amen? Do you understand what I mean? Now, when I go to sleep, I, I take some of the following steps. Here are the things I do. First, I make up my mind. I'm going to bed. That's the first thing you do. Now, the second thing you do is you announce it to everybody. Honey, I'm going to bed. I want everybody to know I'm going to bed. Now, the third thing you do is you, receive, you, you remove all stimuli. Turn out all the lights. Turn down the stereo. Turn everything down. Turn off the TV. Remove all the stimuli that might keep you from going to sleep or might wake you up if you did. Then the next thing, I want to ask for help. Would you see that nobody disturbs me, please? So that's why you announce it. And then you go over there and you turn off the phone so it won't ring when somebody calls you at 1.30 in the morning for Gary Chapman's telephone number. <laughs> Let them find it out their own selves. Now, the, the, the last thing I do, I make sure that the fire is out in the fireplace. Always got to check the fireplace. And then when I go up the stairs, I lock the door behind me so nobody can get in when I'm asleep. Do you understand the steps to sexual abstinence? First, you decide, I'm going to keep myself sexually pure. Secondly, you remove all stimuli. You would be amazed if you knew how many hours a week young people who are Christians watch MTV, watch every television program with sexual innuendo of every kind. The sitcoms are incredible. There are no jokes anymore unless they have a sexual intent. 
And uh, people can't be funny without sex anymore. The next thing you do, you remove stimuli. Listen to me, students. There may be something you have to cut off. Listen to me, dads. More American men are addicted to to pornography than we dare to think about. And ladies, more are into it than you can imagine. And I am telling you, it is an addiction that will disturb and ultimately destroy a healthy physical relationship in marriage. And you've got to watch what you get on that internet. You've got to watch. I, I have, have uh, now information, and I thought about buying this Guardian, which guards uh, all, uh, everything on your, or your uh, uh, computer from the pornographic stuff. And your wife sets the password. Ha. And if you want it, I'll give it to you, ladies. You just see me, and it's $59.95 free. But Gary and I will put that bill ourselves, won't we, Brother Gary? Remove all stimuli. Ask others not to bother you. <laughs> you if, if you got somebody who's going to push you to the limit, students, single, cut that guy off. I'll tell you, it's, it, now today you have to say, uh, cut that woman off if she's going to push you to the limits. Get the protection and the help of others. The Shulamite woman had her brothers. Over here in the next chapter, she says, I'm not going to let anybody into my garden. That's the sexual experience. And so she had a, a door and a gate that was shut. Her brothers made sure it was shut. That means sexual purity, sexual abstinence before marriage. Sexual love has proper times and boundaries. And the boundary for a non-married person is abstinence. Let it sleep. Secondly, stop the arousal. And thirdly, remember that God rewards patience. You say, well, I've waited all this time. You know, single came to me not too long ago and said, is it wrong for me to ask God to hold Jesus back until I can get married? I don't want him to come until I get a chance to get married. <laughs> I said, no, you pray any way you want to. Jesus is going to come and God wants him to anyway. Amen. Whether you're married or single or wish you were both. So the, the truth is here that sexual love always has proper times. Even in marriage, it has proper times. Even in marriage, it has boundaries. God didn't take us, create a body, and then just drop a soul inside. The scripture says he made us physically, and then he breathed into man the breath of lives, and man became not a living body, a living soul, a living soul. Now that leads me to my fourth implication here. Our sexual yearning is a reflection of our yearning for God. When God made us in the garden, he made us to desire him. He made us to love him. Pascal says there is a, a God-shaped hole in our hearts. Augustine said, man is not at rest, and he will find no rest until he finds his rest in thee. There is an incurable longing for God in our lives that is incredible. And it is a reflection. It is reflected in our sexual yearning and our romantic yearning for our partner. Just as we desire God to be one with him, that's where we came from. Woman came from man. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And so there's a yearning to come together and be one again. That's why Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you might turn to that. That's our last passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's why Paul says, look at, uh, you can't join Christ to an harlot 
Because when a man and woman come together, when, when I come together with my wife, I am celebrating that God made us one. In prayer, when I'm intimate with God, I am celebrating my union with him. We can't ignore that. Now watch what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, and let me show you what this does. All things are lawful for me in verse 12, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now watch what he's doing there. That's a tricky passage. Food is made for the belly, and the belly is made to digest the food. Now, I praise God three times a day for that passage of Scripture, don't you? Since yesterday morning, you talk about yearning. My stomach has yearned for fried chicken. I need a fried chicken fix. I've got it on my mind. I like to have the old iron skillet kind with crusted on the outside, but I'll take whatever I can get, uh, frankly, uh, and uh, I, I long for that. Anybody else? How, how many of you would long for fried chicken? You ever long? For, how many of you long for something else? You ever long for something else? Sometimes I just get a desire for spare ribs and sauerkraut. I want something just to squeeze my jaws real good. Bite them. I need that. Little uh, Emily and Meredith have been staying with us the last few weeks while John and VJ are making a transition into their new home. And uh, she saw me eating the tail end of a popsicle the other day. I'm a popsicle addict. How many of you are popsicle addicts? Got some up here? Yeah, there's some crazy as I Dennis, I'm glad to know that you and I got something in common here. We love popsicles. And when she saw that there were no more popsicles, it's five to nine, she said, pop, pop, that's me. I want popsicle. Marilyn, want popsicle, popsicle. And when she gets something on her mind, she is just like her daddy. She will not give it up until something is done about it. So I'm grandpa. What do you think I did? At five minutes to nine, I got in my car. I burned 28 and a half cents worth of gas just to go to Harris Teeter to get her a popsicle because my granddaughter had a yearning in her tummy for a popsicle. And now I got enough popsicles to last. If you need one after church, come by, see me. I got a couple of extra oranges for you. But now watch what Paul's argument is. He says, the fact is that though the stomach is made for food and the food for the stomach, God will destroy both the food and the stomach. They're temporary. Because see, the Corinthians have been arguing that the body is for sexual immorality because God gave us this romantic yearning. And Paul says, oh no, and the difference is this, food and the stomach are temporary. But the body is not made for immorality. It's not made for sex. It's made for God. So if you, if you look at that carefully, the fundamental truth here is that God put a yearning in us for him, and that is often expressed in the yearning to be one in union with our partner to whom we've made a covenant commitment. And when you have, have uh, uh, sex outside of marriage, you are driving a cleavage between body and soul and spirit. And that's what creates the pain that opens up the hole there that creates the pain that is terribly hard to heal. I have talked with many people who have said to me, I wish I'd never had premarital sex, but I've never talked with one person who said, I wish I'd had 50 more partners before I was married. Never. 
Because there's a pain when the body and the soul and the spirit are separated. When you give yourself to somebody you're not married to, there's a pain there. You have divided man. You've, you've ruined God's, God's oneness, unity. He can put it back together, but only God can. That is why Paul goes on to say, do you not know that, the, that God raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his power? And do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and join them, make them members of a harlot? Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot? Here he uses the word join as synonymous with sex. Is that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? That's what tears you away from the soul and spirit. You're one body with this person to whom you promised one covenant in spiritual union. And now you've taken your body and you've cleaved that union. And you've tried to join yourself to somebody else. And a one-night stand just doesn't do it because there's no lasting intimacy. If you're going to have lasting intimacy, there has to be lasting commitment. And that's why there's a boundary for marriage. And that reflection for each other is a reflection of how God made us to yearn for him. In Psalm 42.1, as the heart pants after the water brook, so does my heart and after you, oh Lord. You know, it's the only time that Hebrew word is used. It's a word that means the stag goes down, gets a drink, lifts his head, looks around, says, okay, now I've got my supply, I'm ready. Where's the dough? He's panting after the water. And that word is used of, in non-biblical literature as panting after his mate. And that's how I connect. My longing to be one with God is reflected in my capacity and longing and yearning to be one with my wife. And that's why there's a boundary there. That's why there's a boundary. So today, if we can keep that abstinence pledge, I can make four promises to you. It will build your spiritual self-esteem. You will feel good about yourself. I did it. I kept myself. I've got a gift to give to my husband. I've got a gift to give to my wife. Secondly, it honors the creator who owns our body. Third, it trains us in discipline. It reminds you that all your life you're going to have boundaries. And fourth, to practice sexual abstinence, it protects the heart and the soul from the pain and the hurt of breaking a union or trying to forge a physical union without a spiritual union. Today, I'm going to ask those of you in a moment we're going to sing, I'm going to ask those of you who've never put your faith in Christ to come and put your trust in Him.